Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah and we're going to be looking at the completion of the walls. Our main text is Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 15 through 19, but let's actually start reading from the beginning of the chapter just to help keep the context for our study today. So Nehemiah chapter 6 starting in verse 1. It says, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. As I said last week, ah, heck no. No, anyways, I thought of Merrick too when I said it, but anyways, I didn't tell him that before. Anywho, but they thought to do me harm. Verse 3, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem saying there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come therefore And let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward I came, verse 10, to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, the son of Mehedabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together In the house of God, within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there, such as I, who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah And Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat. According to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid." As I mentioned last Sunday, clearly Nehemiah needed endurance and the discernment and discernment for the things, the opposition, the issues that he faced in the work that God had called him to. And we saw the Lord in those first verses give Nehemiah both the endurance and the discernment that he needed to 
in order to navigate the different conspiracies and plans of the enemies to harm and murder Nehemiah and cause him to be fearful and weakened and even cause him to sin, but how Nehemiah instead honored and pleased the Lord as he faced all those things and as he prayed and sought and and trusted in the Lord with all of those things. But now in the final verses of chapter 6, we're going to see the work on the wall completed and also see that the conspiracies continued in the compromises of some of the Jewish people who had pledged themselves to Tobiah, who was one of the main enemies of the Jews, and their work on the wall and of Nehemiah personally. And so with that in mind, let's look at verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. The, the 25th day of Elul, if you're not familiar with the calendar at that time, which I definitely am not, in our modern calendar equates to about September 20th. It, it took 52 days using a six-day Work week. They would not have worked on the Sabbath. And the first thing that stands out to me about this is that Nehemiah spent about twice that amount of time in prayer about the situation he heard about in Jerusalem before he even came to Jerusalem to rebuild it. The, the work, the physical work of rebuilding only took half the amount of time of the spiritual work of prayer for the rebuilding. And for me, this speaks volumes about the power and importance of prayer. Even if we're the only person in the world praying about a specific situation or for a specific person, to be reminded that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman accomplishes much, as we're told in James chapter 5, verse 16. Guys, the groundwork for the rebuilding happened spiritually in prayer in Shushan before it ever happened physically in Jerusalem. I think about Gary and Mindy and like, man, they've had this property and they've been wanting to build, they've been wanting to build for years and and all the time that it takes for blueprints, and you're working with you know, contractors, and all this time up front, that, that's so much longer than the actual time to see anything actually built physically. And oftentimes we find that to be true spiritually. You know, before Angela and I and our family and before others came up here to plant this church, I mean, there was several years of prayer that went into what actually happened once we got here. We, when we moved, it was like, okay, we're here. Now what? What do we do? Like, we know God wants us here. And, and then three weeks later to start a home Bible study and then kind of the Lord just doing things from that point. But to think about the three years of prayer before that and then the, the three weeks that led up to the actual first, like, gathering 
in our home, like what God did in all the years before that, that God used to affect what would happen once we came. And how God will do that oftentimes in our lives. Many of us have been praying for things for a long time. We've been praying for people maybe for a long time. And we may not see anything. It's like that, that foundation sort of work where you dig down the least exciting part. The least glamorous part of the building is always the, the, the foundation that's needing to be laid. And, and yet Nehemiah did that for four months. He was in Shushan. He, he just feels stirred by the Lord. He feels burdened by the Lord. He's just praying and seeking the Lord day and night. Four months. It took, him, it took him almost the same amount of time, if not longer, to just travel from Shushan to Jerusalem than it did for the work of the, re, the rebuilding to actually happen. And sometimes we can despise the day of small things when it comes to the, the groundwork of prayer. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't see what's happening. I can't see any fruit from that. And yet I believe Nehemiah would be the first to testify that actually that four months of prayer were like the most powerful moments of the whole thing. It wasn't when they broke ground. It wasn't when everybody said, yeah, let's set our hands to this good work. It was all the months before that where he would have been praying and pleading with the Lord to do something about the brokenness that existed. Some of us may have come to the Lord because we had a praying parent, a praying grandparent, a praying aunt or uncle or a neighbor who had laid that groundwork in prayer on our behalf, interceding for us before the Lord. And God used all of that time of prayer in the thing that he actually did when we finally surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. We praise God for the people who get on their knees and spend time and persevere in prayer because we are the benefiters, aren't we? We're the benefit, but we can also be those people who God uses to affect things in the spiritual realm, in the lives of people around us, in, and in our culture. Guys, you and I are those people. Nehemiah, I don't, we don't see that anybody else had a burden about the building. But Nehemiah did. And other people might not have a burden about a thing that God might be putting on your or my heart. But we don't need other people to have that same burden. If God's given it to us, we need to bring it to him in prayer and let him refine that thing as we seek him. We cannot underestimate or overemphasize how important prayer is in the work that God is preparing us and others for. In the timing the Lord is working things out in. In the doing of the work that the Lord is going to bring about. And have us and others partner with him in. And in the ways he's wanting to draw people to himself. And, and glorify himself in the work he's already done. And in the work he's presently doing. And in the work he's going to do in the future. It only took 52 days 
to do something that didn't happen in 92 years of the people being back in Jerusalem after returning from exile. 52 days. You know that everybody there, their minds were just blown. 52 days? I mean, some of the older people who were, you know, maybe they were children of those who first returned under Zerubbabel. And they're like, man, I've never known anything different. And then to see God just bring this guy from Shushan. They didn't know him. Who's this dude coming in? He's been appointed as governor by King Artaxerxes. Like, okay, he's telling us we're going to rebuild. Let's do it. 52 days. The people in Jerusalem lived with broken down walls and burned down gates for 92 years. Until God stirred the heart of Nehemiah over 800 miles away, working for the king of the Persian Empire to come to Jerusalem, rebuild what was broken so that the people would no longer be in great distress or reproach. But, but notice what this finishing of the walls in 52 days did to the enemies of the Jews. When all of their enemies heard of it and all the nations around them saw the finished walls, we're told in verse 16 that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. When they heard and saw that the walls were completed in that short amount of time, their own estimation, they had an inflated estimation of themselves, right? They, they thought, man, these Jews are beneath us, they're nothing. We're, we're the best, like we're, we're the ones who are going to rule this whole area. And that shifted, that shifted when they saw what God did to, to them feeling actually humiliated, being humbled by the Jews' completion of their walls. And, and why did this shift happen of them being disheartened? Nehemiah tells us in verse 16 that it was because their enemies perceived, they understood that this work was actually done by the God of the Jewish people, Yahweh himself. See, even the enemies of the Jews could see God's hand in all that had happened. And that understanding, that realization, it, it messed them up. Remember, the enemies of the Jews tried and plotted and schemed through discouragement and distraction and fear. And even threats of violence to come in and destroy the Jews so that the work would stop. But the God of the Jews, Yahweh, had fought for his people, had encouraged his people, had kept them building and defending, had revealed and helped deal with the oppression that was going on from within and had given Nehemiah endurance and the discernment to know the motives of the enemy against him, but also not give in to their persistence or lies or fear tactics but stay resolute, stay focused on what God had called him to and to not waver. God got all the glory for what he did in and through Nehemiah and all his people, the Jews, in the work that took place to rebuild what had been broken for far too long. And he wants all the glory as he works in our lives too. Some, some questions for us in light of that that I would want us to consider this morning. Are we letting God work or are we hindering the work he's wanting to do in and through us, maybe because of a lack of faith or a lack of 
obedience or maybe because of compromise in our lives? Are, are we letting him work in us and on us? And, or are, are we doing the work? Are we making things happen? Are we doing things in our own fleshly efforts to, to better ourselves or to better our situations? Because if we are, what we've built won't be built correctly and will not last. And instead of God getting all the glory, he'll get robbed of the glory. We'll get robbed of the blessings that come when we let him have his way, his work in us. And the only thing we'll really be left with is regret and a need for repentance. With whatever brokenness or, or, or areas of weakness in the spiritual wall of our lives, are, are we bringing those things to the Lord? Are we trusting him that he can rebuild and restore and renew? Are we submitting to him as he does that work? And are we seeking to give him the glory by sharing with others what God has done and is doing, giving him all the credit and the praise and letting others know that just as he's worked in us, he wants to work in them too and that he's able to save those who are lost. Guys, these two verses should fill each of us with faith and hope. It should drive us even more to prayer and it should cause us to, to both worship our Lord and be witnesses for our Lord Jesus. But let's look at verses 17 through 19 where we'll see that the conspiracies continued now in the compromises of some of the Jewish people who had pledged themselves to Tobiah. Verse 17. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me, and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters, Nehemiah says, to frighten me. Tobiah, who has clearly been one of the central figures who were enemies of the Jewish people and in opposition to the Jewish people, having their city walls and gates rebuilt and restored, this man Tobiah had gained an in with the Jewish people through the tribe of Judah. In verse 17, we're told that in those days, referring to the days when the wall was completed, the enemies were disheartened, that the nobles of Judah were communicating by letter with Tobiah, where the nobles were sending him letters and he was writing back to them. But, what, but we find out why this was happening in verse 18, that many in Judah were pledged to him. That word pledge there meaning to take an oath or make a solemn promise. And that this pledge came about because Tobiah was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, And because Tobiah's son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Which tells us Tobiah gained this network by him and his son intermarrying with Jewish women. Basically what we find is that these shady relationships between many in Judah who had pledged themselves to Tobiah 
who was an enemy of the Jews, came about because of the disobedience and compromise of some of the Jewish people who had intermarried with some of the pagan Gentile people in the surrounding areas, including Tobiah, compromise that led to some of them actually becoming traitorous towards their governor, Nehemiah, who had sacrificed a lot to come there to help them rebuild Jerusalem. See, the the compromise of these people was actually causing them to work against what the Lord was doing in wanting to rebuild and restore and renew them and making them a tool of the enemy. Have you ever found in your own life when you found yourself, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this in the past, that you found yourself in a place where you know what, you've made some excuse for some sort of compromise. It could be something big, it could be something little. But at the time, none of us are thinking when we compromise, you know what, I think I'm actually working against the Lord now. You know, I think he really wants to do this work of rebuilding and restoration and renewal, but I'm, I'm totally working against all that he's trying to do in my life as I'm compromising, and we're definitely not thinking in, an, in those moments of compromise, you know what? I'm becoming a tool of the enemy. But the reality is, those, those things happen. That's what happens when we allow compromise in our lives. You know, these people years earlier, be, you know, if you read the book of Ezra, you see Ezra really dealt really harshly with this issue of intermarriage because God very specifically had told the people not to marry with the pagan people of the land. Why? Because that sort of, um, that sort of mindset had led them to finally being conquered and exiled in the first place because as they intermarried with those who were, uh, you know, of the, of the Gentile nations around them, they would adopt the gods of those people and all of a sudden, they would become idol worshipers. And these same people were later on, like, uh, you know, sacrificing their children to Molech and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And it all started with them just going, I think I'm going to marry somebody that God told me not to marry. And at the time, maybe some of them thought, I'm good. I'm fine. Not a big deal. But they were working against the Lord. Those people ended up becoming tools of the enemy that, that influenced the entire nation to actually reject God. Their God who had delivered them from Egypt, their God who had brought them into the promised land, their God who had given them judges over 400 years to deliver them as they rebelled, their God who had given them a king that they wanted, their God who had been with them all along, they worked against him. And if we could just keep in the front of our minds that compromise is not a little thing, that there's actually huge spiritual significance to the thing that's happening when we give in to the compromise, when we allow compromise, man, how much we could avoid. What kind of influence we might become to others. Because all of us have been touched by the compromise of others, haven't we? And it might be little things. It might be like, man, you know what? That just kind of irritates me. That's a bummer that that's going on in that person's life. But sometimes it's really big things. 
a compromise in a marriage that leads eventually to someone committing adultery and how that can affect not only the, the spouse, but the kids and people involved in the family and, and relationships that happen later on in those people's lives. Compromise. Compromise is a huge thing that we need to not take lightly as followers of Jesus. And you know what's interesting here in their compromise? They couldn't even see Tobiah correctly. They couldn't even see how bad of a guy Tobiah really was. They couldn't see that Tobiah hated them. And he wanted them to stay in ruins. He wanted their city walls to stay broken down. He wanted that from the very beginning. And you know what they're doing here? They're saying, Nehemiah, Tobiah is actually a really good guy. They're reporting his good deeds. That word good deeds there speaks of moral excellence or admirableness. Now, if you and I have been tracking through the book of Nehemiah here, even from back as far as chapter 2, there has been nothing, nothing morally excellent or admirable about Tobiah. I don't want to be crude, but the guy's a dirtbag. He's messed up. The moment that Nehemiah came wanting to help his people rebuild so that they were no longer in distress and reproach, we're told about Tobiah and Sanballat that they were, uh, they were angry that someone was coming seeking the well-being of the children of Israel. I mean, that's the very first thing we hear about this guy. And then it just continued on, Tobiah mocking Tobiah trying to put a wrench in things. Tobiah hiring people to try to come against Nehemiah. To get him to be afraid. Sending letters to frighten him as Nehemiah says in verse 19. What kind of good deeds are these guys thinking of? But that's what compromise will do to us. Compromise doesn't just affect us internally it affects how we see things externally too we can't process things rightly when there's compromise going on inwardly it affects how we see what kind of decisions we make what we're going to spend our time on who we're going to surround ourselves with what sort of things we're going to participate in what we're going to give our money to, even. Compromise is a slippery slope. Where when it's not confessed and repented of, it will lead to more and more compromise. To where just like these people in Nehemiah's day, we can become in some ways a tool of the enemy who's working against what the Lord is doing and wanting to do in our lives in the lives of others and in situations. Their compromise, their sin, didn't just affect themselves. It affected Nehemiah and it affected the entire Jewish community there in Jerusalem. Guys, do not believe the lie of the enemy. Compromise, sin, doesn't just affect you. It'll always affect others too. And not only will you pay a price, not only will I pay a price, 
but oftentimes others have to pay too because of the compromise that we allow in our lives. Compromise keeps us from seeing and experiencing the work of the Lord being furthered in the walls of our own spiritual lives and in the lives of others because compromise tears down and leaves in ruin the things that the Lord is wanting to build up and renew and restore and bring to completion. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to have a no-compromise-allowed policy stance in our lives, or we'll make excuses and allowance for things to come into our lives that just aren't of the Lord. Nehemiah endured and persevered and kept seeking to honor and obey the Lord. It was not easy. Nothing about that was easy for Nehemiah. But what a blessing that Nehemiah got to see the Lord bring this work to fulfillment that he had put into Nehemiah's heart in the first place. And though there were many who compromised and became tools of the enemy to try and thwart the work of God, there were many others who shared Nehemiah's heart, people who had set their hands to that good work, who endured and persevered alongside of Nehemiah. And these people got to rejoice with Nehemiah, though we're not told explicitly that they did rejoice, but I have no doubts that they must have rejoiced in what the Lord had done here. You know, maybe for some this morning, compromise or sin has kept you in a place where your spiritual wall is not what it should be or where God would have it to be. And because of compromise, things in your life have stayed broken down and lying in ruins. And maybe you couldn't even put your finger on why that was the case. Like, man, I, I, don't, I can't figure out why, why this isn't working out. I can't figure out why, you know, my, my communion, my, my fellowship with the Lord just seems dry. Or, you know, it's just things are hard. Like, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. And, and maybe you haven't been able to put your finger on it. Maybe even this morning the Lord is just going, and maybe, maybe it's not. But maybe for some... God's going, look, the reason, the reason for that, the reason why the walls are still broken down, the reason why things are still an ash heap in your lives is because that compromise hasn't been dealt with yet. I mean, we can want and pray all we want. God, do this work in my life. Lord, bring this restoration, bring this healing. You know, do something about this brokenness. But if we are still doing things our way, disobeying God's way. It's not God's fault that those things are still the way they are. It's ours. And, and the solution is just as easy. It's not, hey, okay, here's where you find yourself. You know what, you've compromised, you're, you got yourself in this situation, or these things are broken down, the struggles exi exist, whatever it is. It's not, hey, let's, let's give you 100 steps. Here's all the 100 things that you need to do. Get back on track. We'll get that rebuilding work happening again, that renewal happening. It's just one. It's just one. Just surrendering afresh to the Lord. Because in compromise, we're just going, I'm, I'm going to do me. 
I, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and maybe we were deceived even in thinking that that thing wasn't as big of a deal as we had thought in the moment. But we've realized, man, it was a much bigger deal than I thought. It's affected me. It's affected others. And, and maybe this morning for some, God's just going, just surrender. Surrender requires humility, right? To raise the white flag before the Lord, to submit our lives back under the authority of the Lord. It can be hard, but it's so good. It's so good. Why would we be working against the good work that the Lord wants to do in our lives? But maybe for others, you're enduring, you're persevering in spite of opposition and discouragement and trials and, and suffering. And maybe for you, maybe someone else here, you just, you just need to know and be reminded that the Lord will complete the good work that he's begun in you. And that he's pleased with the heart that just wants to honor him no matter what. Because sometimes when we're in that place, we can feel like, man, God, you're not blessing me. <laughs> All these hard things are happening. So God, maybe you're withholding your blessing from my life. From my life, Trials don't mean God stopped blessing you. Trials don't mean that God's displeased with you. If our heart is in the right place, if we're seeking to honor and obey the Lord, we're not allowing compromise to have a place in our lives. To know this morning that God's pleased. You know, there are blessings to be found in the place where we are unwilling to compromise and we stay steadfast in the things we know God has called us to and laid out for us in his word. Even if obedience isn't easy or it causes us to face opposition. Like I said last week, the right thing is always to obey the Lord. That's always the right thing to do. Nehemiah's unwillingness to compromise what he knew God had called him to and his unwillingness to compromise by disobeying and sinning against the Lord, even if it was to save his own life, were crucial moments that God honored and blessed. And because of Nehemiah's unwillingness to compromise, he got a front row seat to see God bring the work on the walls to completion in a way where God got all the glory for it. God got all the glory for what he did in and through Nehemiah and his people. And, and as I said before, he wants all the glory as he works in our lives as well. I want to share an encouragement the Apostle Paul gave, and I kind of referenced this verse already but Paul speaking to the believers in the church of Philippi in Philippians 1.6, he wrote, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had your confidence boosted by someone else's confidence? Sometimes you look at someone else's confidence, you're like, wow, that was misplaced confidence. That was a... Maybe you shouldn't be as confident. Maybe you should not be as confident about what you're about to do. But there's other times where like somebody's confident and you're like, yeah, 
yeah, we can do this, or yeah, this can happen, and things are going to be okay, or whatever that might be. Someone else's confidence could impact our confidence, and I think what, a, what better thing could we be confident about the, than the thing that Paul says that he, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was confident about regarding believers. That if Paul was confident, you and I can stand confidently in this verse. Not only has God begun a good work in each of us by giving us salvation as a free gift through Jesus Christ, he's going to follow through and finish what he started in us. You know, in my younger years, I was a really poor finisher. Really poor finisher. There's a lot of things that I started that I never saw through to completion. But I'm so thankful that God isn't like my younger self. He always finishes what he starts and he never leaves something halfway done. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That work that God's doing in each of us each day, molding us and shaping us, that work of sanctification where he's conforming us into the image of Jesus, the likeness of Jesus, will be completed on that day that we stand before Jesus Christ. And I'm really looking forward to that day. You know, we think about the things that are going on in our lives. We may not see the fulfillment of the things even that God has put in our hearts You think about the prophets of the Old Testament, how many of them prophesied about things that they would never see in their lifetime. Prophesying about the Messiah, you know, 700 years before the Messiah was going to come, never getting to see that. Sometimes God puts things in our hearts and we don't get to see them maybe come to fulfillment. You know, we might think of a situation that's broken down and we can't put all of our hope in that. That, that that thing is going to work out the way that we want it to. But what we can be confident in is that the work that God has begun in us, he's going to be faithful to complete. And that God is working. Even when we can't see it clearly, God is working. Those things that you and I have been praying for, those people that we've been praying for, those situations we've been praying about, God is working. He's working. Now the worship team come back up. You know, so cool to see how, you know, after all these chapters of us going through the book of Nehemiah, and obviously there's still much more that God's going to do through Nehemiah's ministry there in Jerusalem and things that needed to happen now that the, that the walls were finished. But to think about all the things that took place in those couple months to know that the things that God had put into Nehemiah's heart, you know, he, he made good on. And so as we think about even the things in our own lives, you know, and again, maybe, maybe it's an area of compromise, but maybe it's just, as, I, as we were kind of considering last week, just that need for endurance. 
to know that God's got us. We can trust him in these things. God didn't call Nehemiah from Shushan, have him travel 800 plus miles and then just have nothing really work out. He put those things into Nehemiah's heart. He clarified that vision. He supplied everything that was going to be necessary. And then he rallied the people to work and got the work done. And I just think for us, you know, as we go through our day-to-day lives, as we face the things that we face, that we wouldn't lose sight of the Lord. We'd see his hand. And that we, just like the enemies of the Israelites, would be able to glorify the Lord, to recognize that the things that happen in our lives, that God's hand is involved in it. (laughs) Right? To not be blind. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, he who has begun a good work, you will be faithful because you're a faithful God. That's who you are. You can never stop being faithful because it's just part of your character. And Lord, God, for us this morning, maybe, Lord, we're just in that that place where, God, we're working. We're we're trying to just be about your kingdom, Lord, and, and God, things are difficult. Maybe we're facing trials or suffering or just difficult circumstances, Lord. And God, at times, maybe things don't make sense. We don't understand your timing or your ways. But God, will we trust you? Lord, will we keep looking to you? Lord, would you keep us building? Keep us about you, Lord Jesus. Give us endurance. And Lord, would you bring to fulfillment, Lord, those things that you desire to see happen. God, those areas maybe in our lives or the lives of others that are broken down, God, that are in need of rebuilding, in need need of renewal, Lord, in, in need of restoration. God, would you do that work? And Lord, would we not hinder it, Lord, by a lack of faith or a lack of obedience? Or God, because of compromise that we might allow in our lives, God, would we be completely sold out for Jesus Christ? And Lord, where we've allowed, maybe, compromise to have a place, Lord, even this morning, God, in your own gracious but powerful way, Lord, you know how to do it. You know how to get our attention. Lord, would you point out those things in our lives that maybe we've ignored We've swept under the rug. We've hardened our hearts towards. God, those things that aren't of you. God, those things that are working against you, those things that maybe have even made us a tool of the enemy. God, would we confess those things to you and repent of them this morning, Lord? Would we surrender afresh and anew to you? And God, would you do those things that only you can do in and through our lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who's worthy of all the glory. 
And Lord, I, I pray even this morning, maybe someone has joined us and they don't first just have a personal saving knowledge of you, Lord. Maybe they've never received your salvation in their own lives, Lord, that even now you'd be God speaking to them. Lord, opening their heart, God, that they would see, Lord, their own sin condition and see that, Jesus, you are the only Savior that can deal with it and that you want to. And just encourage any here this morning, maybe that's you and you're in that spot and you're just going, look, like, I need Jesus' salvation. I need my sins forgiven. Would you raise your hand if that's you to just say, hey, Jared, pray for me this morning. Anybody at all? Maybe this morning for you, it's not a a salvation, it's a surrender sort of moment of even this morning recognizing that there's compromise that you've allowed into your life and, and just having the humility to just raise your hand this morning and say, you know what, that's me and and I, I want the Lord to do a, a fresh work in my life. Is that anybody this morning that you'd be willing to raise your hand, just say, that's me, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I humble myself before you this morning. Lord God, I surrender afresh to you, Lord. Lord, you see these that have raised their hands. Lord God, you know their hearts. Lord, you are a gracious and merciful God, ready to forgive abounding in loving kindness. And Lord, I pray that God is, they just recognize, Lord, things that God don't belong. Lord, would you deal with those things? God, would they be able to confess those things to you even now? Lord, repent of those things even now. Lord, surrender afresh even now, Lord. God, would you restore, Lord, the joy of their salvation this morning, God? Would you renew a right spirit within them, Lord God? Lord, would you revive, Lord? Would you renew, Lord? God, would you do a fresh work in them? And Lord, we just want to respond to your word, giving you all the glory, Lord, praising you, worshiping you, Lord, giving you our thanks. And so, God, would you continue to meet us as we sing these songs? Lord, as we take of the communion elements, Lord, as maybe there's an opportunity here to get prayed for by the prayer counselors, God, would you continue, Lord, to have your way among us. And God, in these days, Lord, as we see all the brokenness, all the damage, all the destruction, Lord, help us, God, to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. God, rally us as your people to be those wall builders. Lord, that we would be seeking, Lord, how you might have us build up other people, Lord. God, to point others to you, Lord, to tell others about you. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.